Well, good morning. Hey, welcome home to Cassidy. My name is Stephen Mitchell, and I have the privilege, the absolute joy of being the senior pastor here at Cassidy, and it is an awesome day to be able to come together to celebrate all that God is doing in and through this community so that we can grow in relationship to God and grow in relationship to one another and go into the world and be the people that Jesus wants us to be. My hope is that you have found in this place uh, a community that can grow together. If you're new here, if this is your first time here, whether online or in person, uh, we just want you to know you're welcome here. We are excited that you have chosen to spend a bit of your day in worship with us because we believe that uh, we, need, we need Jesus. And we know that we're not the people that God wants us to be, but we know that, that Jesus is perfect and we want to be more like Jesus and we want to invite you on a journey to be like Jesus together with us so that we can lift one another up, so that we can carry one another's burdens, so that we can be the people that God wants us to be. Uh, that's why we've been, uh, we're starting brand new today, this new message series, this worship series called Plunge. The idea is actually taken because at the end of this month, as Pastor Suzanne was talking about, we have Vacation Bible School. If you're not familiar with that term, it really means we're going to invite kids from 3 to 10 to come in here and learn about Jesus. They will descend upon us like locusts. And we will celebrate because we will, we will get to talk about Jesus, we'll get to learn about Jesus, sing songs about Jesus, and then we will start to live more like Jesus. That's always the trick, right? We, we want to take that step and make a difference. And so we decided, hey, if they're going to do this vacation Bible school called Mission Deep Sea, we're going to team up with them because they got some crazy cool artwork. I don't know if you noticed, back here behind me, I have uh, coral, and then we have jellyfish, and they move beautifully when the air conditioner kicks on. Um, it's great. Uh, but it's this opportunity for us to plunge deeply into our faith. And the truth is that when you plunge into something, sometimes it's not until you get beneath the surface that you start to see all of the things that are there for you, all of the beauty that is there. If you watched in that video, it's only after you break the surface that you get to see really cool clownfish. My, my daughter loves clownfish. She thinks they're the greatest thing ever. Uh, she wants to have a whole aquarium filled with them. Uh, but she doesn't like to clean the aquarium, so we don't really go there. Uh, so, but it's that whole idea of, of going deeply in order to get beneath the surface so that we can see some of the beauty of our faith, some of the things that make us who we are. But sometimes, sometimes in order to go deep, you have to clean up a little bit. You have to recognize that there's, there's some problems with, with things moving through. That actually, sometimes instead of just taking a plunge, in order to take a plunge, we, we need not just a plunge, but we need a plunger uh, to help get things moving, to help get things flowing. I thought that was funny as well. Uh, <laughs> thank you for laughing at my joke. It's, it's good. Um, I have, I have a really good friend. His name is Michael Cromwell. Uh, he is a pastor in Atlanta, a worship arts pastor in Atlanta, Georgia. But he used to work with me in St. Louis. And, and one year he was taking students and adults on a, a trip. They were going to a, a special worship service. And it was going to be a place where they could reconnect with their faith. They could worship together and they could sing songs. And they had popular artists that were coming. And, and they were super excited. And Michael knew 
that, hey, if I don't have some way to distinguish myself out of the crowd of thousands of people that are going to be there, it's going to be hard for our students and our adult volunteers to find me. And so he, he thought, hey, I'm going to get t-shirts. And then he was like, what if I get the same t-shirt that everybody gets? And then we're all wearing fluorescent yellow t-shirts that nobody wants to wear. And everybody matches. And nobody knows which one of us is really the real person with the fluorescent orange or yellow t-shirt, whatever. And so he, he was at the hardware store and he saw a plunger. But it wasn't an ordinary plunger. It was a plunger with a plexiglass handle. Like you could see through it and it was a blue rubber plunger. And he thought to himself, I bet nobody else is going to have a plunger at this concert series. And so he got this plunger because he was like, I could hold the plunger up and everybody will see me because I am holding the only plunger in the whole place. And he was right. Uh, nobody else got a plunger. Uh, and so he's holding this plunger up and he was walking backwards, watching for the numerous youth that were following him, like the Pied Piper, except instead of playing music, he's just waving a plunger around. And a guy from behind him says, is that a plunger? He turns around and the guy that was behind him was this guy. His name is David Crowder. He is a very unique looking individual. And David is standing there. He's a musician, very popular. You've probably heard some of his music, even if you don't know him and know who he is off the top of your head. Uh, but David was standing behind him and, and asked him, is that a plunger? And Michael turns around ready to explain all that's going on. And he sees that it's David Crowder and he's like, uh, yes, Mr. Crowder, it's a plunger. That's all that would come out. And David's like, you know, I've never autographed a plunger before. Could I sign your plunger? <laughs> right? And so Michael's like, absolutely. Now it's not just a, a signal or a symbol for people to follow. Now, instead, it is an autographed piece of art. And so Michael takes this thing, and now he, it sits on his mantle. Uh, you know, it's, so sometimes we can use plungers for some other purpose besides what they're created for. But the truth is, the best use of a plunger is not to get an autograph, not to lead people to victory, but instead to use it to clear things up. I mean, you know what plungers are good for. Uh, and so we want to take a look at our lives and see where is it maybe we're a little clogged up. Where is it maybe we need to plunge so that we can get things moving, so that we can go forward, so that we can go a little bit deeper in our faith. And the truth is we're broken. We are deeply flawed people. We are people that left on our own, we are never going to find a way to make it and make ourselves right. That we can't do this by ourselves. There was a guy, uh, a Christian author uh, named C.S. Lewis. You may have heard of him, or at least you've heard of some of the books or movies that have been made about the books, The Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, he wrote a book called Mere Christianity, which is an apologetics, a a uh, a, an argument for Christianity that I think is phenomenal, um, but so many books by this author. And C.S. Lewis didn't start as a follower of Jesus. Actually, he was a staunch atheist, and he was against the idea of uh, not just Christian God, but God in general, because the way the world was. And, and what convinced him finally to start believing in God and then ultimately in the Christian God was this, that he knew that he should be better, that there was a level 
in him that he should be striving for and that he could not get there on his own. Try as he could, he couldn't love people. Try as he could, he couldn't forgive people. Try as much as he could, he couldn't be what he saw as the, 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 the bar for being a good person. And the reason is because we are all flawed and broken. We're all jacked up, and most of you are sitting out there in church going, yay, it's that sermon. I'm so excited. We're going to talk about how messed up I am. So instead of talking about how messed up we are, let's talk about somebody else, because it's more fun that way, isn't it? So we're going to talk about today a guy named Jonah. You probably have heard of Jonah. Jonah is one of my favorite characters from the Old Testament because he gets eaten by a fish. And who doesn't like a story where somebody gets eaten by a fish and then uh, survives it and comes back out? And so we're going to talk today about the story of Jonah because Jonah demonstrates just how broken we are as people. You see, Jonah, Jonah was a prophet of God. God relied on Jonah to bring his message to his people. And when we think about prophets, sometimes we're, we, we get it wrong. Sometimes we think somebody that's just telling us the future. The prophet, the role of a prophet in biblical times and even today isn't to tell us the future. Sometimes that's a part of it. But the reality is that the prophet comes to get us right with God. The prophet comes and says, hey, you're doing these things wrong, and if you don't, God's going to be really upset with you. He's going to be cross. I like using that word. He's going to be cross with you. I don't know what that means because people are always just mad at me, not cross. I go beyond that level of just cross. Anyway, God is going to be mad at you, and so you should change what you're doing so that you can be in right relationship with God. That's what a prophet does, and Jonah was a prophet of God, so he had done this for years and years, and yet one time, God calls on him to take a message, to take a message to a town called Nineveh, which is where the capital of Assyria was. And when, when Jonah receives this command from God, go to Nineveh and tell them that they are wrong in my sight, and if they don't change their ways, they are going to uh, be demolished. I'm going to destroy them. Uh, if, they don't, if they don't turn from their wickedness, then bad things are going to happen. And Jonah, Jonah says no. And the reason Jonah says no is because, you see, the Assyrians, which is, that's their capital city, the Assyrians had done wrong to the Israelites. They had come in and conquered the Israelites. They had done so bad and so much bad to the Israelites, they carted off gold and, and jewels out of the temple of God and took them to be prizes in victory of war. And so Jonah hates the Ninevites. Jonah doesn't see any value in them. And so Jonah says, hey, to himself, if I go the opposite direction, then nobody's going to warn the Ninevites and they are going to burn. It's better for me to go away from them so that they get what they deserve. You see, Jonah is so broken by hatred and anger that he can't even do and carry out the mission God has given him because he hates them so badly. They don't deserve to be able to be repentant. They don't deserve forgiveness. Instead, they deserve what's coming to them. And so Jonah decides, I'm going to go to a town called Tarshish. If you look on the map, uh, the Nineveh 
is here, and Tarshish is as far away from, from it as you can get. And so Jonah's like, I'm going to get on a boat. I'm going to go the opposite direction. Ha-ha, God, I've gotten away. That's never a good attitude to have, to be totally honest. <laughs> and for Jonah, it turns out poorly as well. Because you see, while Jonah is on that boat, God raises a storm around the boat, and the people on the boat know that it is not just a normal storm that this is a storm that has been caused by God. And so what do they do? They cast lots to find out which one of the people on the boat has angered God so that this storm has happened. And they find out, oh, it's Jonah. And so they ask him, and sure enough, Jonah's like, yeah, it's me. I really, I, I'm the reason behind this. So here's what you should do. Just throw me in the sea. Throw me in the sea. And I, I'm positive. His thinking is this. It is better for me to get thrown into the sea and die and Nineveh burns than for me to go and carry out what God wants me to do. And so they do. They throw him into the sea, and this great fish decides it's a great time to have a snack uh, because God sent the fish, and the fish swallows Jonah, and for three days, Jonah is in the belly of the fish. And then Jonah is vomited up on dry land because in the, in the belly of the fish, he has an epiphany. And that epiphany is, okay, God, I'll do what you say. Fine. Really, it's that. He's not like, oh, I'm so sorry. I was wrong. I shouldn't be angry at them. It was fine. I'll do what you say because obviously you are God and I am not. And so the fish vomits him up. Now, this is a beautiful set of language. Vomits him up on dry ground. And you got to imagine Jonah now slightly smelly, a little discolored from, you know, fish stomach acid. I don't know what it's like in the belly of a fish, but it can't be great. Uh, and so Jonah now goes to Nineveh. And what, what's interesting is historians tell us that in Nineveh, they worshiped a fish deity. And you got to imagine, now Jonah shows up slightly discolored, still probably not smelling quite right, because uh, it takes a while to get that stuff out of you. And he shows up to Nineveh, and they see him and hear his story, that God, God is displeased with you, and God caused a fish to swallow me and spit me out. And, and if, if his God that is displeased has sent a fish big enough to swallow him, maybe even our fish God, then maybe we should pay attention to what he's saying. And so they do. They repent. They turn away from their wickedness, and God, God backs off of the, the ultimatum that he gave to them. And so Jonah, instead of being super excited, Jonah is a little bit bent out of shape. And what's, what's interesting is sometimes it is in our rebellion, sometimes it's in our act of rebellion that God's grace is revealed. Jonah decided, I'm not doing that. And because he decided he wasn't doing that, the Ninevites believed all the more in his message. And, and you would hope that maybe in the process of this, Jonah gets a clue, right? He gets some kind of insight and says, hey, I'm just glad I was able to play a part in the God of all creation's plan. But instead, instead, he gets grumpy. Why? Because he is broken, because he is fundamentally flawed at his core, and his hatred and anger 
for the Ninevites causes him, instead of rejoicing in people turning away from their wickedness and returning to a relationship with God, he, causes, he, he wants them to all pay the price for what they have done to his people. Actually, he gets upset. He gets, starts acting like a petulant child. I just like saying petulant, so I threw that one in there. But he says this, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah. The change of plans that now Nineveh will not be destroyed. And he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? He's upset because, because he knows God. He knows what God is about. That, that is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. He, he says, I knew you were going to do this. I told you beforehand, this is why I ran away. I don't like it. I'm upset with you. And then he throws out this ultimate challenge to God. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. If you don't destroy these people, it's better for me to die. And why is that his ultimatum? Because his hatred runs so deeply. Because he's broken. Because he's flawed. God saved them, and he gets grumpy. More than grumpy. He acts like a three-year-old throwing a temper tantrum and giving God an ultimatum. Not that it takes only a three-year-old to throw a temper tantrum when it has to do with God. And I'd love to say by the end of the story, Jonah had a change of heart and returned, but instead we see him sitting on the side of a hill, hoping beyond hope that the Ninevites will turn back to their wickedness so that God will carry out their destruction. He is so deeply flawed, so deeply broken, that he can't even see the victory in the kingdom of God that has occurred. And, and the truth is, we are all flawed and broken. We are all jacked up on the inside. In, in, in scriptural language, we have all sinned and fall short of where God wants us to be. And, and it's hard for us, especially modern day today, because, because we sit there and we look, and there are so many messed up people that we can judge ourselves by. We look around on the internet or on the news, and we're like, well, at least I'm not that bad. I must be kind of an okay person. I must be doing pretty good because I haven't done anything like that, like those things that we see on the news or, or on social media. I, I must be a good person. And the difficulty is, is that we're measuring by the wrong standard, right? And it's easy to be better than somebody else that's just as jacked up or even more jacked up than you. It's a little bit more difficult when we put that bar at where Jesus calls us to be. And it's important for us to recognize that we're flawed because it is in understanding our flaws that Jesus helps us to find room. Jesus is the one who can fix us. And Jesus wants us to recognize that we are flawed and broken so that we recognize that we need Jesus. 
<laughs> and, and recognizing that we're broken is key to this and not always the most fun moment in our lives when we're like, oh, we, we are not where we should be. Uh, but it's a moment that then we can say, you know what? I can't do this on my own. I can't make it better on my own. I can't, like C.S. Lewis did, I can't be all that I'm cracked up to be if I don't have help. And Jesus says, I'm here to help you. That's why he came. Jesus comes to overcome our brokenness. Not because he, he's going to show us a, a great moral example, but because we can't physically do it. And so by his life, death, and resurrection, he offers to us his victory over sin and brokenness and says, I want you to have what I have already accomplished. And I will give this to you. I will give this to you so that you can live fully into the life that I promise for each and every one of you. And, and we can sit back and we can be like, man, that, that sounds impossible. And Jesus answers that. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. How we achieve the righteousness that we need so that we can live is because of Jesus. And Jesus gets it. It's not easy for us to do this. It's not easy for us to offer ourselves, to surrender everything we are so that we can be made more into the image of, of Christ. It's not easy. And so truly, what hope is there for us? If, if, if we are broken and we only need Jesus, the, the hope that we have is in Jesus. There's a, a guy named Paul. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Uh, Paul was an enemy of the way, the, the, the new church that had formed. And, and Paul was a persecutor until one day on a road to Damascus, a town uh, that, that he was on his way to arrest people that were following Jesus. While he's on his way, he encounters the resurrected Christ. And in that moment, everything changes for him. And he says, I'm going to give everything to Christ. I'm going to give my life, all that, I, all that I am, all that I can do to, to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And he spends his time creating new churches, going to towns and sharing the good news of Jesus and forming a church. And, and it's one of those churches, the church in Corinth, that he writes and he becomes very vulnerable to them. He wants them to understand that he's been struggling with some stuff himself. And he says this, Three times I pleaded for the Lord to take it away from me. This sin, he refers to it as a, a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was because he doesn't go into detail, but the Corinthians knew what was going on with Paul. And he said, three times I asked God to take it away from me, but he, God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power, my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast, Paul continues, all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, your flaws reveal God's strength. 
Your flaws show how great God's love and grace is because it is in your faults, in your brokenness, as far as you are from God, that God says, I will go that far to love you and to share my life with you. That God says, I, I'm here for you. No matter how far you have fled from me, no matter how far you have run from me, I will come and make my love and grace manifest in your life. I will make a difference for you. I will love you so much that you can't get away from my love. And so the beauty is that in our weakness, we are, we are demonstrating God's great strength and His great love. And so what do we do? What do we do with that information? Actually, uh, Paul anticipates our argument. He says, uh, should we just sin away? Should we just do whatever we want so that we can demonstrate how great God's love is for us? And his response is, by no means. Absolutely not. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. That's Paul talking, not me. Uh, don't do that. Instead, live fully for Jesus because Jesus has made a new life for you, a new way for you. And it's in that new way that you are, are going. Now, our problem is that we keep turning back. We keep turning back to the sin and the brokenness of our lives. We keep carrying that. Uh, there was a commercial when I was a kid, and there was a gorilla that was trying to beat up some Samsonite luggage. And it was that Samsonite's going to make it no matter what. And our problem is, is that we've packed our sins in those Samsonite luggage, and we're just carrying it with us into the new creation. And God says, hey, I want you to leave, leave that stuff behind. You don't need to carry that anymore. I got you. You don't need that. I'm here for you, with you. And so let's go together. And so what do we do? How do we make it through that? What does it look like for us to step boldly into this new hope, this real idea. And first thing we need to do is this. We need to recognize your need for a Savior. You need to recognize your need for a Savior because without understanding how broken you are, without realizing that we need God because we can't do it on our own, then we can't move past it. We can't unclog the system. We can't plunge away so that we can be made more like Christ. And the second is we need to surrender to Christ for His restoration. Because it is in surrender that we find true life. It's in surrender that God says, okay, now let's work on some stuff. I love you no matter where you are, but I love you too much to leave you there. Let's walk together, and I'll work on these items, and you work on those items, and together we will restore you to the creation that I have in mind for you. And then finally, live fully for Christ now, forgetting what is past. Paul says it this way, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, perfection. I'm not all that I should be, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. See, it's in that letting go and living for what comes next and not focusing on what's happened behind us, not recognizing and, and focusing on all of our our brokenness. It's great to understand that we need a Savior, 
But Jesus has done everything we need so that we might have life. Through his life, death, and resurrection, we are given new life. Not just a little bit of good Jesus on top of an already good life, but a brand new life in Jesus Christ. And he says, come with me and let's go together to build my kingdom, to love people, to make a difference in this world, and to make a difference in eternity for the kingdom of God. Amen? Let's pray. Holy One, we give you thanks and praise for the gift you give us in Jesus Christ, for the the fact that we recognize that we are not perfect, but we know the one who is. And we celebrate your gift of life that you offer to us. Father, help us.